So in my desire to cook better and more, to go out for food almost never now, try to live a bit more simple priesthood as I'm trying to grow in this, I went to Costco and to a grocery store yesterday to get some supplies. Go to Costco because you can get meat for really cheap and it's really good. Yeah. Um, how do I put this? How do people do it? Go to Costco? And grocery stores. Like, they're so busy. And yeah. people park their carts in the middle of the Nile, forcing you. I'll just be a second, a minute later. They're still figuring it out and then refusing to move their mm. stupid cart. And you're just like, mm. ah. I was like, okay, Jesus, serenity now. Serenity now. It's like, <laughs> you know, I was, just, I was praying, you know, but it's like, I was just, especially Costco, usually Monday mornings are quiet. That's why it's day of rest, good day to go. Yeah. It was not quiet. Although some friends said maybe it's because school's going back next week. So parents are in the midst of getting extra food and shopping, all that stuff. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But I was just like, dear Jesus, take me now. Just, just take me now. I just don't know how people do this. I, I don't know how they survive yeah. it. I don't know how to do it. I, I just like, I, I just take my, my hat off to families who just do grocery shopping because like, and then like trying to find the stuff you need. And you're like, why isn't the tomato paste with the canned tomatoes and the tomato sauces? It just makes no sense. It's on some other aisle, five aisles down. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I don't I get don't it. I am not. Maybe you have a bad Costco. I, I mean, actually, I don't. No, no. This is, that, that was the grocery store, the tomatoes paste thing. Oh, okay. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's making any sense. Um, I am always afraid when I go to the grocery store that I'll see a parishioner and they will judge me for the food I am putting in my cart. It's like, well, Father, did you really need double chocolate donuts? And Father, you're buying how much ramen noodles for yourself? Right. Or like, uh, w w Father, that's a lot of frozen dinners. Try not to look so pathetic right now. <laughs> so Costco is never a super healthy buy because buying fruit and vegetables for one there is dumb. Yeah, you can't it's do it. It's too much. It's way too much. So I get like the meats. I get my Pepsi. Um and i um although it's funny i did run into a family um the wife of my pastoral council chair and some of their kids and they don't drink pop in their home sorry soda pop whatever i don't care pop it's pop it's it's a, it's a pop it's pittsburgh's pop. a pop place yep good good um the and the kid saw the flat of pepsi he goes that's a lot of pepsi <laughs> Wow, I'm like it's cheaper. It's like I'm gonna get it where it's cheaper, right? Um, mm -hmm. But it was uh, it was just funny because mom's like, yeah, we we don't drink pop at home, so he was very excited to see the pop, and he's probably gonna try and use this as an excuse for us to get some now. No, but maybe you inspired a vocation. Who knows? Yeah, like, it's like when, when I'm a priest, a priest, I can <laughs> buy all the pop I want. Well, I'm trying to also limit that to one a day. Mm. Um, trying to, I need to lose some weight, so less sugar. But still, but it was just like I like. It took me. It, I usually can get in and out of Costco fifteen minutes because I know I, I there's only there's very few things I need there usually. I just broke out the rosary while I was waiting in line, and I just said, "Okay, okay, Jesus, please just get me out of here." Can we talk about etiquette? Can you can you transition so I can talk about etiquette for a moment here? Sure, but just one little thing. There's there's one little positive ray of sunshine in all this. Yeah, the the Costco hot dog. Yeah, dollar fifty for, a, and here's a dollar fifty Canadian. So it's like ten cents American. 
Wow. I didn't realize I kept it same in Canada. I know. I was like, I, I know. I was like, uh, but yeah. So yeah, dollar fifty for a, hot, a jumbo hot dog and pop. You can't beat that. Like you literally can't make lunch that cheaply. So yeah. I wasn't going to. I'm actually really glad I did because going to the grocery store took forever, and you run into another parishioner, and you're just like, okay. And then you just like again, I'll I'll etiquette none at all and people get me yeah, out yeah that's that's not acceptable so you know that's that that's all i have to say so welcome to cleric speaking i'm father harrison i'm father anthony and i'm gonna complain a bit too all since right. we're talking about how <laughs> terrible people are um so Just god bless families man i don't know how to do this every all the it's time it's amazing <laughs> it's really well, amazing okay so Sorry. uh two weeks ago i was uh flying down to hilton head with my family mom dad uh, three brothers or two brothers there's three of us total and Riley and we all went down to Hilton Head had a house near the beach hung out did nothing did nothing just went to the beach to the pool restaurants mm-hmm. uh, played some Settlers of Catan wonderful wonderful time but I, I flew down there the rest of the family uh, drove and I flew down there just because schedule wise mm-hmm. and uh, like Hilton Head is a place where a lot of families go to, especially from Pittsburgh. Where so, is Hilton Head anyways? I don't know. Uh, South Carolina? Okay. North Carolina? I don't know. I, I flew there. You may have said that. I may have missed that part. Yeah. It's funny. It's very popular and well-known among Pittsburghers, but not necessarily for the rest of the U.S. It's just kind gotcha. of like... Uh, there was even a Pittsburgh restaurant when we went down there. Wow. That they served um, pierogies, which was delightful. Uh, so anyway, on the plane flight, and there are a lot of children. And a lot of children making a lot of noise but Mm -hmm. i understand that the parents they don't want to be in the situation either they're doing their best putting a little kid in a cramped airplane for even an hour and a half is a lot it's a lot and you know what it's fine because i've got my bose sound canceling headphones i've got my audiobooks and i'm not even going to glance up I might even glance up to smile at a parent because I just don't want them to think that I am bothered or notice them in any sort of way. I'm trying to take all the pressure off them doing my parts, okay? I don't talk to people on the airplane, don't talk to people in the airport. I'm just going to my place, putting my headphones in, and not causing a ruckus. We land there, and the Hilton Head Airport only has two gates. It's an itsy-bitsy tiny little airport. And we land early. You know, it's supposed to be like an hour and a half flight. It was like an hour flight. We get there mm-hmm. early. Wonderful. But we can't go yet. And the reason why we can't, you know, get into the uh, the terminal yet is because apparently some other flights had too many passengers in it. So they didn't fuel the airplane up enough. So they were running out of fuel. So they had to land in Hilton Head to get refueled. This is what was explained to me. I'm just amazed that Hilton Head has an airport. It, it, it's very tiny. Very, okay. very tiny. Okay. So someone done messed up. They overbooked the plane and didn't put enough fuel in it. That's that's not a mistake that you need to make. Right. Okay? But fine. But fine. It says it's going to be about a half hour. So I'm like, okay. I will start uh, watching a, a Batman animated cartoon. Then they go on the intercom again and say, well, it's going to be another half hour. Oh, it's, it's going to be for events. And the poor flight attendant was almost like in tears. They were so sorry this was happening. I'm like, it's not your fault. You know, it's a tiny airport and we're stuck here. And the airplane, I think, sat like 60 people. But I think 400 of the 60 people were babies. And the babies were, were more upset with the situation than I was. And right. understandably so. Okay. 
But like I said, I'm being good. I've got my headphones in. Everything's fine. I am being the picture, the icon of virtue mm -hmm. in this moment. Mm -hmm. Very calm. Mm -hmm. We get to, we finally, we finally get in like an hour, like almost two hours later. But I'm still fine because I'm here. I'm on vacation. I'm in Hilton Head. I'm going to make it to the house. There's a very small baggage claim. Most baggage claims, they've got those like conveyor belts. Mm -hmm. This is just like a window that opens up and the guy tosses the bags at you. Yep. That's how small this place is, yep. okay? It's like a bus depot. Yeah, that's really all it is. And waiting for my bag to come out. And this is when I lost it, Father Harrison. <laughs> this is when I be I was the iconoclast of virtue that all of my, all of my strength failed me. Mm -hmm. Because this one family went to get their bags like I said, this, this, the window you get your bags is like 10 feet long. Mm -hmm. And they thought that that was the time to have a conversation right in front of all the bags. Hmm. Their whole little squadron, their whole little clan, just like, we'll just stop right here and talk. Hmm. And that's when I was contemplating like murder in the heat of passion gets a slightly less sentence, right? Right. Right, Isn't I like think manslaughter one or something like that. Exactly, and I feel like the you know any reasonable jury would would understand what I did in that moment, mm -hmm. uh, just taking their bags and beating them over the head with it again and again and again, and then throwing them out of the terminal. Or or like it was raining outside, so maybe just like take all of them and throw them outside and hope they got struck by lightning. Because I feel like God was on my side in a certain sense. What they were doing was totally unjust. The The Psalms would have words for them uh, and what, what the enemies of God do. Mm -hmm. Because this was so egregious. After all we went through, because we were a team on that plane. Right. Everyone was polite. Mm -hmm. Babies were screaming. We were all doing a good job. The flight attendants were doing a good job. And then you had to go and just stand there for like five whole minutes and make me wait to get my bag when you could just walk like three feet to the side so that I get my bag and leave. Why didn't you pull Italian then and just elbow your way in? Because I actually really don't like conflict. Oh. Yeah. Could you just say, excuse me, can I get my bag? I, well, the thing is also, I knew I could not do that. Oh. I couldn't just say, excuse me, can I get my bag in a calm manner. Okay. Hmm. I would be incapable of doing that in the moment. So I just took all of my rage and just kind of just bottle it up just like crunch it up inside and now you have to say a mass for them and now no no i don't not they they don't get a whole mass i'll offer like one bravery hour for them <laughs> they don't get a whole mass for that it's sounds ridiculous. like they need it maybe they do maybe they were so just bewildered and befuddled <laughs> after that ordeal we went through as a plane yeah. but um it was inexcusable and it broke my brain hmm. be better people hmm. be better yeah, airport etiquette is a unique is a unique thing, and a lot of people, well, because most people don't travel enough to know how it all works. No, 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 no. Okay, this isn't that. This is this is not airport etiquette. This is basic human decency. Same you thing. Grab isn't your it? bag. <laughs> That's really what it all. It really is what airport etiquette is. It's basic. It's human not decency. complicated. I know. You don't I have know. to be an expert traveler. Like, hey. If you didn't realize you had to take your belt off before you're going through TSA because you don't fly a lot, I get that. I'm not mad at you for that. 
those things are difficult. And every TSA agent is different. Some are super nice. Some are on a weird power trip. Mm-hmm. So if you hold up the line for that, I understand. That's a mistake. That is a genuine mistake. If there's only like 10 feet of room to grab your bag, it's like standing in the middle of a doorway. It's like parking your cart like sideways in the aisle of the grocery store. It's, it's, it's like uh, parking in a handicapped spot. These things are basic human things that you should know how to do. And if you don't know how to do them, or if you're not paying attention, then you should be disqualified from being a human being. We're cast you off into an island of unfit people where you all can be impolite to each other and you can live your miserable lives there. Maybe I should say a mess for them. <laughs> Maybe I should say a mess for myself. Hmm. 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 That's, that's how I feel, though. Do you know who else we should say masses for? The people who give us tweets for the Summa Tweet Logica. Summa Tweet Logica. Summa Tweet Logica. You know, someone didn't do this last time. So the Summa Theologica with St. Thomas is the summary of theology and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter, except we only found one interesting thing on Twitter. And so we're just, that's, that's all we're going to do. Just one. Just one tweet. It's, it's, a little Summa. Well, it's a Summa know, of the and, Summa. And there was, um, we had the Summa of your heart in the banter. Mm, we did. Yeah. That's from uh, Marianne Immunicorn is apparently her name right now. Okay. But... M.A. Bows 402 great friend of the show been here since the beginning I believe yeah um, awesome woman and so she says I'm not much for clapping at mass but last night there was a couple 70 celebrating their 76th anniversary I mean come on and it's like yeah do what in that occasion I'd be like like I had I realized I had to go faster because I don't want to make it sound like an ironic clap. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was just the, the the epic slow clap. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but no, it was amazing. Like that's amazing. 76 years. Like they must be quite old. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> that's how math works. Yeah. But 76 years is amazing. Like I just I can't even comprehend. And and yeah, a mass you clap for that. 100% because what a gift. That's a lot to say, but that's just amazing. And okay, yeah, I will, I will affirm with you that that is just to see that beautiful work of God's grace and their adherence to it, to stay true to the marriage covenant for that long, with all of the trials, tribulations, joys, dramas that the heroic vocation of marriage entails, the rearing of children. They should definitely have a mass said for them. They should also be respected by the community and held up in a certain sense as uh, an inspiration for the community. Mm-hmm. Still no clapping at mass. I don't care. You're a thief of joy. I am a thief of joy. Like, oh, oh, you need to be, we need to clap when the holy sacrifice of the mass was already said for you. But we'll we'll add to it with our little clippity clippity claps. 
We'll just we'll just we'll just ruin all liturgical etiquette. No, you do it. You do it after the anything, busing. You do it after the busing. You do it after the busing. Because mass is over after at that the point. busing. No. Well, yep. Uh, yep. No. Yep. You, yep. you don't do it after the busing. Why not? You do it when mass is over and after you say the Leonine prayers. Then, <laughs> then perhaps after the priest leaves the church, then perhaps you can do a, a polite golf clap for this lovely couple. Thief of joy. That's all I have to say. Thief of joy. This family traumatized you at the airport, didn't they? I they make you hate all marriage mood. now. It's PTSD. <laughs> now I'm just reliving it. And I'm just like, no, no clapping for anybody. Especially you families. Know what? Clap for me. Clap for me who didn't murder a family. Clap for me who was nice the entire plane flight. It, it was only an extra two hours, but it felt like 76 years. I'm the hero, Harrison. It's me. <laughs> you know what we talked about last episode? I think I think I think there's some room to grow there. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably a little bit. Speaking of last episode, let's uh let's go right into presbyteral exhortations. If I can even say that properly. Presbyteral exhortations. There we go. And now it is time for Presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. <laughs> yes. Um, quite all right, all right. So, yeah, this is gonna, I think this is gonna dovetail well with our last episode because I think it's interesting that your experiences are, yeah, dovetailing with mine in some ways. I recognize I'm coming off just like massive high of being with sure. the sisters um like it's retreat high level times 10 um jesus gave me a lot of constellations i think in part because i was really really sad to go on the friday morning and but jesus has been doing some pretty cool like i've been actually reflecting like man like Five months ago, he just changed my attitude, and now it's just been going deeper all the time. And I can't stop pursuing where he's taking me, and I don't even know where he's taking me. But in all of that, um, I have been praying a lot lately about the notion of freedom and acceptance and so that's what i kind of want to talk about today obviously for my priestly experience but um and i think it's something we need to live as priests so that the people can see it so that um when tragedy or hardship suffering whatever comes in their life they know a they're not alone and b to learn how to find God in that. You know, I know a few people in my life right now who are going through some really tough stuff and you can't say anything to it usually, except just to be there and pray for them and let them know yeah. that whatever you need and just let them know that you love them and that whatever they need, you wanna be there for them. But so one of the things I've been reflecting on is, is I, I feel things very deeply. I know this. Like I'm a on the Myers Briggs, my F is like way high, which I also know makes me. 
I know a lot of guys aren't this way necessarily, <laughs> right? It was just, it's fine. It's just different. Um, but I've always felt things very deeply and almost like to the point where an experience brings a lot more meaning than sometimes I think people recognize the encounter will bring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm someone who's also really big on the heart. I think the heart's important. I think it's vital to the Christian life. I think we do not talk about our Christian experience and like learning how to navigate our experience and to learning that Christ is there in experience, not in this like, oh, you know, Jesus, whatever I make him to be, but rather whatever is coming your way, Christ is there and you need to learn to see him there. Um, We need to do that more. And it's also the fruit of just my encounter with the sisters to see that radical trust on divine providence and a real acceptance in their life um, in really amazing ways. Too many to, to talk about right now, but um, it's really inspired me. And it, but it's been something I've been starting to live a bit more before even this time. But now it's just like, it's like the crack was open beforehand. And now it's like, Jesus, I gave him that crack and now he just like threw the door open. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because you talked about last time the impossibility of the tasks we have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> yep. And I've been really praying about that in my parish, and I know some parishioners listen here, so, but I, I will not say anything I don't ever talk about publicly, generally. So, you know, everything I'm saying, I'm not hiding or anything I want. You know, yeah. Since we've been slowly reopening, I've been hearing different people have been living leaving the parish. Hmm. Going to a different one. I've had some people go to the SSPX chapel. Oh wow. And we have a it's a really small one here. I want I gotta go there and bring exercise salt there one day. Just sprinkle it. <laughs> um <laughs> And as a priest, that breaks your heart. And it's been weird for me because I don't know why. Nobody's said a peep to me or to anyone in the office. I haven't heard any gossip about it. And with that, you know, you lose some collections and stuff. And our parish is not rich. And you feel that. You feel that. So, like, when I was coming back... um. Some things were told me when I got back. They weren't huge, but I, it was not the best time probably for me to hear them. I didn't really want to hear them, but I heard them anyways type of thing. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> I had just been traveling for 13 hours. I was hungry. I was tired. And I was sad. The last thing you want to do is hear bad news or little bad news or whatever. Right. And, you know, heard a few more people were leaving the parish or something like that. Okay. All right. All right. I was... But I... There was a few, but a few things like first I was like okay I knew I felt sad in the moment so what's the first thing I did I called up a couple of priest friends yeah um, just to talk about and to talk about the joys of my holiday because I knew that's what I needed to do and I needed to talk about a bit of the frustration in the moment the sadness but then I've been like I said last episode I've been reading Fulton Sheen's Those Mysterious Priests he has this amazing I don't have it with me but he says something to the effect that the vic, the priest victim is someone who wants to feel and experience the guilt, shame, 
and sin and loneliness of the world of man and to want as that to reconcile man to god in that i'm butchering the quote a little bit but i've literally been starting to try to pray that every morning actually and it's helped me with my experience a lot more already like i'm just like noticing a whole bunch of different stuff and i remember going to chapel that friday night just to pray for a while and jesus was like just take it just accept it this is what it is like, oh, okay feel it <laughs> accept feeling it so i because I, I realize because i feel things so deeply and it's so hard for me to explain what i feel because it really like words seem insufficient um I often react or run away or whatever um, instead of just embracing what I'm going through in the moment. But that like was like a, another little conversion moment in my heart. I'm like, okay, no, I'm, I'm going to accept. I'm just going to accept this. I'm going to feel it. And he goes, that's my sadness. <laughs> like, ooh, okay, all right, all right, Jesus. <laughs> um, that, he's like, yeah, that's my sadness. You want to feel the guilt, sin, and loneliness of the world? All right. I will draw you into this. I'm like, okay. Then they got a few other encounters. One person after mass was saying something to me about collections or something like that. About how they can get higher. And I'm like, I, I just no. People know where the boxes are. They've known yeah. this has been our, what we've been doing for a year and a half. Everybody knows where to put the money. If they have it. If collections go down, they go down. And she's like, why are you worried about if the collections go down? What's the worst what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst? good point he goes maybe just see where things go he goes I want you to do less I want you to pray more I want you to accept because I remember coming home that after mass on Sunday and praying like which is, it was like a really small experience but man I was feeling it like deep in my yeah. heart like I was just yeah, like yeah. like man because like and it's why I love Bernanos as the Harvey Country Priest so much because I think that's and it's why I like I love sacramental worldview stuff in so many ways because I, I've always like intuited there's always there's always a mysterious spiritual reality and battle going on behind the most mundane statements and I just feel that and but now Jesus is like okay now it's time to accept it and just to just accept accept because like I, I'll shut up here in a second. Because there's more to say, I think. But um, but I've always been a fan of like Ratzinger's thing about like we do too much. We're overly masculinized in the church, all this stuff. And I think he's right. But it's like, do we actually trust God? <laughs> and I realized I was trying to plan too much beforehand with the parish. I want to do this project. I want to do that. I'm like, we don't have the money to do anything. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We, we're we're broke. <laughs> we're not broke, but I mean, like, we're not. And like, I can't force people to give, and I can't force. And I because like, listen, I think what part of the sadness when someone leaves is you're like, what did I do? What right, did I do? exactly. And I think a good priest should always ask that question. But I thought about it. I talked it over with friends. 
been praying about it. I've examined my conscience. I can't see what I've done wrong. Just myself as a priest. And so what, why are you trying to control it? What can you do? Nothing. So accept, just accept. Because if you're going to accept my will, if you're going to accept, if you want to be close to me, if you want to accept my love in your life, you've got to just accept what is given to you in the moment. It'll be good, it'll be bad. And if it's bad, there's nothing you can do to change it. But just depend on me more. And that's like super freeing as a pastor. Like, so that's why I was like a little hesitant last episode to talk. So I'm like, I was, it was kind of, yeah. Cause as a pastor, you're always worried about the finances, the building maintenance and everything. And it's like, I'll be honest. It's like, do what? We don't have enough money to keep the building up all the time. Then the building's going to fall apart. <laughs> what can I do? What can I honestly do to change people's hearts? There's only one thing I can do. Be Christ to them and show Christ's work and mercy. Show up and fail. Show up and succeed. Show Just show up and do your thing so that you're not bound to parish manipulation. Well, Father, I'll give you this if we do this. Right, yeah. It's like, no. I will proclaim Christ and him crucified, and that's all I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to shut up now. I got more to say, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so uh, oof, a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. of thoughts. Um, <laughs> Acceptance, man. Yeah. Um, so I part of me is wondering, like, is it better for a person just to leave or is it better for a person to tell you they're going to leave? Right. Right? Because that's, that's a question. Because sometimes, like, if someone is, like, literally, like, hey, I'm moving away from the parish because whatever reason, job, whatever, that's important for me to know. And it's nice mm -hmm. or if like sometimes it's just purely practical stuff like hey this is uh the parish and it has a school and that's where my kid's going so i want to mm -hmm. get more involved there mm -hmm. um and it's that's just you know good information a nice courtesy thing sometimes people will tell you they're going to leave so they hurt you mm -hmm. and i'll just say this for most of us uh, especially newer priests for some seasoned priests they they have developed thicker skin but it works you try to hurt your priest and you did it congratulations um for some people it's it may be like a genuine like i can no longer be here i'm mm -hmm. giving you this information so that hopefully you can be better to the people who remain mm -hmm. and that's a tough thing to hear mm -hmm. and a lot of guys might not hear that but that's a good thing to do mm -hmm. So there's all uh, all of that. Um, it's also to say that, because I know you would absolutely agree with me, um, but just to throw it out there so we have things mm -hmm. appropriately cont contextualized, that in both of our parishes, there are so many good people. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. Who, who absolutely. care about the parish. So it's not to say that, like, guess one thing, I don't want to make it sound like everything's terrible right because it's not it's not no but, no it's not at all no. right right but you know we experience the things that hurt hurt right yep. and everyone kind of you know this intuitively uh for example uh the little sisters of the poor uh were at my parish the other day 
doing a collection at the end of mass and i said uh give them all your money and because uh, they deserve uh, it yeah because i was like you know what i'm not gonna try just give them all your money <laughs> either you're listening. but like two ladies apparently dumped out their purses that's awesome <laughs> And it's beautiful. Not that I expect everyone to dump out their purses. Right. Like, I just, you know, um, that's more than a monetary thing that they did. That's a spiritual thing that they did, yeah. right? And so you see these heroic acts. Um, you also see this, uh, what we experience in a different way in, in lay people. A, a lady came to me and talked to me uh, who was very involved in her parish, not one that I'm at. And again and again, like, even though super involved, wanting the parish to thrive again and again is coming up against roadblocks again and again is feeling kind of spiritually used um, or not appreciated and she's just pouring out her heart and I had to give her the really annoying answer uh, as priest like yeah that's what you pray with Mm -hmm. that's what you offer up Mm -hmm. and those prayers are powerful Mm -hmm. you know those prayers are biblical Mm -hmm. if you look at this especially the old testament prophets like jeremiah today in the office jeremiah today (laughs) you know uh is just and this is the thing about the idea of giving it to god a lot of times we think the idea of giving it to god is kind of like pushing it away so that i don't have to deal with it and i'll be at peace and god will handle it yeah that's not what giving it to god means giving it to god means like feeling it yep going into it going into it and inviting him into it you have to claim it completely before you can give it do you want christ to be all in all in you yes so like some people are like i keep trying to give this to god and it's not working i still feel bad it's like no no no. you haven't i know you're trying to honestly you you are but to give it to god you have to first accept it and invite him into it that's what like real deep intercessory prayer yeah. really is right and that's that's tough but that's the only way you can actually give it to him mm-hmm. no matter if it's something seemingly small or seemingly large right it matters and like sometimes people feel bad it's like oh because other people suffer worse than me uh that doesn't matter mm-hmm. it does not matter that other people objectively suffer worse than you this is what you've been given this is what hurts you this is what you have to pray with who the flip cares about other people in this sense mm-hmm. right you, you know okay so there's that um and yeah uh it's that idea of detachment and also okay you think about feeling things deeply mm-hmm. i do think that people who gravitate toward the priesthood tend to be that way hmm. not all but a lot of guys who gravitate to the priesthood are guys who feel things deeply interesting I did not uh, just in my experience much, but that's okay yeah 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 or maybe it's just um, that they're more maybe they're more introverted about it yes and that's the thing that's yeah. the thing i think you know um <laughs> no you're not which is, which is <laughs> which is good it's a blessing um uh and so when you see priests who have become bitter and become cold or developed drinking problems or other addictions it's because they feel it too. Mm-hmm. But they don't know how to deal with it. Right. Okay. Um, I think you, if you see the grumpy, jaded priest who seems like everything bounces off him, it's because 
he has first felt it deeply and then built up walls around his heart. I think you see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And then uh, the final point I'll make on what you said, um, that detachment you're, you're talking about is not a giving up. Right. It's, it's something far more difficult than giving up. It, and this is the thing like we talk about all the time, but the only reasons why we talk about it is because such a temptation for us is to try to be problem solvers. Right. Exactly. Is exactly. to try to yeah. be that me- mechanistic yeah. uh, perversion of masculinity that says that we have to fix everything or do everything. Carry everything but on our own shoulders, all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or ultimately that the parish is based around us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because either you're a priest or a pastor. And to say no, it really isn't means that you have to accept the good which there's a lot of mm-hmm. and the bad which there's a lot of there's a lot of and the mediocre which is a, what there's abundance and, of and the mediocre which come that which sometimes can be more frustrating than either of them you know it's the worst of them all in some uh, ways yes in many ways it's the worst of them all um it is like in the same way of like giving it to god means entering into it in order to like be detached in a certain sense you have to enter into it first mm-hmm. And acknowledge the fact that in my heart, I have had moments or days or weeks or even right now where, Lord, I feel like I have to have all the right answers. Mm -hmm. Or if I don't do this and the parish will fail and I will fail. Right. And sometimes the Lord will just pile a lot of that on you. Right. So that you get broken. (laughs) There's easier ways to do it, but we're dumb. Yep. And this isn't a thing like the Lord's like, it's, it's. It really is a mercy, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Right. Where it's like the only way your heart will let go is if it has so much, your heart's arms break for really pushing the metaphor. Where it's like, oh, I really am empty. I really can't do nothing. This really is an invincible wall, an impossible task. And then you realize all you have is Jesus Christ. And boom. Boom. That's what happened. This is the thing. So this is where it gets to, right? It's the empty vessel for his grace. It's, I've brought it up before. I'm going to bring it up again. It's Ratzinger's thing of it's precisely in their nothingness that their communion with Jesus resides. That is the only time Christ can work, which means you have to say, I'm doing what I can do. And to trust like that you give to God whatever he needs and is asking you to accept in the moment and make up the rest. And like, but that maybe, like, maybe, here's the thing, like, maybe I'm going to be a failure as a pastor. I'm okay with that now. I'm really okay with that. Partially because I think part of it is our generation not just priests, lay people, our generation of Catholics, we're taking on a very top-heavy church, institutionally, people-wise, program-wise, etc. In 20 years, the church is going to look a lot different. Mm-hmm. We can't hold it up. It's impossible. So let the things that need to crumble and fall down, crumble and fall down. What's the problem? Why is that bad? Why can't we accept that? And why can't we accept 
that God's going to work in this? And, and why aren't we going to accept that that's the cross? And why aren't we going to accept that the cross is the source of grace? And so these things are actually the best places to be with him. Why won't we accept it? Yeah, it's interesting because this is another thing that I've been praying with. And I think you're, you're getting at the answer. Um, is that like I look around and I think to myself, the church shouldn't be like this. Yeah. This is wrong the way the church is. I mean, not, I mean, just with the over institutionalization, the corruption, my personal sin, mm-hmm. um, the, the sins of the parish, it seems like, and, and that's a weird thing that I've been grappling with. Like, Lord, why does it feel like you've asked me to be a hospice chaplain Mm -hmm. like shouldn't the church like shouldn't it be like the acts of the apostles going out and doing these things like isn't there something wrong here and I think part of the answer is yeah Mm -hmm. there is something wrong but getting to the deeper answer of your point is and this is the thing like we see the theoretically we see the cross, uh, the resurrection as the inevitable answer to the cross because mm-hmm. we know the story. To none of the apostles save Mary in a mystical way, which was still difficult and not like she knew exactly what was going to happen, but like the resurrection was utterly unexpected. Mm-hmm. Utterly unexpected. And I think even for Mary, while she still had hope, I bet that hope made no sense to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she still had it, whereas maybe a lot of the apostles didn't. That and it's only because, because we, she was being crucified with him in her heart. Yes, right. She knew she was she was sharing in that act of love. Hmm. Um. Uh, I don't want to get on a tangent on Mary, but it's it's fun thing to think about. Okay, so um, <laughs> so bring it back to our time. Okay, if, the, if Jesus Christ really wants to purify his church, I think we can assume yes. Does Jesus want to purify his church? Yes. Okay. Does Jesus want to save his his bride, his people? Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. That, that's a given. Well, how would God do that thing? Look to Israel. By making it impossible for us to do it. Yep. It's the same thing you see in the Old Testament with like, um, uh, like, the Lord wants you to go attack these these bad guys. And then the Lord's like, no, you have too many troops. No, you have too many troops. No, you have too many troops. It's like, you you cannot, I'm going to make this in such a way that there's no way you can take credit for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not because God wants credit. It's because the real problem, the real sin, the real root of the evil is that we have taken this task upon ourselves exactly. and we no longer trust that God is God. We're still acting out of Adam instead of Christ. Yes. Yeah. And so, and I'm not trying to say it's like, I'm not like, this is the other thing. I think it can sound like, oh, well then you're just encouraging a pacifism, right? Which is kind of right, like, right. hey, you know, you're just going to show up and pray and that's all you're going to, no, no, that's not what I mean by this at all. I think activity in, in priestly life or in lay life or Catholic life in general, though, needs to be rooted in substantial deep prayer. Mm-hmm. I'm being convinced of this more and more every day because it gives you a different way of seeing things that 
the world desperately needs and so like you're gonna you know yes because like i mean every young person every young person i meet the dread stuff we keep on talking about that's what they feel i Mm -hmm. i've yet to meet one who doesn't feel that way um they might hide it from their parents that's what they feel yeah um so why don't they find christianity attractive not because it's not fun enough or anything like that because it's not real enough yeah it's the bourgeois catholicism of make me feel good when i go to church i'll put my three dollars in and i'm gonna you know but i'm gonna demand of your time and everything for me and listen we do that as priests knowing it's probably futile sometimes that's part of the vocation so um but we need to like reroot ourselves in a deeper prayer and we need to reroot ourselves in an activity that flows from grace an inspiration of god which is that you're going to trust that god's going to give you the things you need to do when they come gotta evangelize all these people gotta put this pro no no like i don't know about you but like i'm amazed how many times People just show up in the conventional. It's been 40 years. I've been away from the church for 40 years. What brought you back? Yeah. I just was praying one day. Like, what? No programs. Yeah. No no evangelization. Nothing. No. Nothing. More people come to RCIA just because of something that they did on their own than any... I have yet to hear of an effective evangelization program that really brings a substantial amount of people to the church because it doesn't exist, actually. It never had... And here's here's the thing. It's never existed. Ever. There's no secret. Mm-hmm. Well, there is, but it's the dependence on grace for God to do his work right. by depending on him more. So it's like, we got to stop thinking about what tomorrow will bring in a way. We got to stop thinking about the past. We just got to find God now and to accept whatever he brings our way that some days is going to bring you massive sorrow and sadness and pain but am I willing to accept it as a place of communion with him am I willing to accept the joys the successes the gratitude as a place of communion with him am I willing to see him as the one who motivates and moves and because when you start to do this, like, and this is like where it's like, it's like, I, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to preach it sometimes. And I actually think sometimes like the Lord zips up my lip in preaching sometimes because it's a secret of the heart in preaching to my people. Maybe he doesn't, it's not opportune or something. I don't know. I don't know how to let. People... I think it's because if you were to try to preach it, you would dampen it. Right. If you try to put it in the words, put this into words, you would actually be putting up roadblocks. Right. To either make people think they understand it or to make it sound unattractive in some way. It's not that God wants to keep wants you to keep a secret. Right. It's that it cannot be given right. in that way. And so then can you trust God where you can't speak to speak through you in that, if that makes sense, right? And then because like but I think at least on the priestly side, I'm sure it's the same for lay people. It's just different. Where do I find my priesthood most sterile and dead and not life-giving when I've ceased to be loved and to love in return? Like 
I'm just going to say I am just so madly in love with Christ right now <laughs> because he's madly in love with me. And I don't know how to give that to people. <laughs> I really don't. I, I want to. But, and I'm just, I'm going to say, okay, Jesus, I accept that I can't communicate your love the way you've communicated it to me. I accept it. Well, if you think about it, you know, Christ was completely united to the Father. Like, he was the image of the Father. And yet, not everyone followed him while he was on earth either, you know? And also, just to bring a point to the whole activity versus prayer false dichotomy, uh, I've noticed that when I am praying, when I am in a good spiritual place, when that is my primary focus it's then that i'm the most active mm -hmm. it's then that i i feel the most free to go out and do the things i need to do and do them well right. because it it becomes less of a priestly task that i have to accomplish and more of just like a, yeah of course i'm going to visit this yeah. person yeah yeah of course i'm going to drop everything yeah. right now because that's what i need to do i'm not yeah so i mean that's and like it then what it does though is it it like I've also noticed just like I'm not walking as fast as I used to <laughs> I know it sounds weird but yeah. like I'm like no there's no rush just take your time like it's okay to not do all the things you want to do like <clears throat> so what Jesus keeps on bringing in my heart is those who want to encounter me will stay I don't know what that means, but that's what's been coming on my heart. I don't know what that means in a lot of things. But I can't... I don't know. It's impossible for me to not... How do I want to put it? It's impossible for me to water Christ down. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. It's just not possible. I refuse to do it. I can't. Because to do so would be the greatest act of dishonor to God. And I just can't. Um, but I'm not worried about anything, weirdly. Like I, and I think, and I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. I think it will. And I think Jesus is kind of preparing me for those days where the worry will come. But that, tell me again, it's like, well, that's my worry in a way for them. I want you to embody it. I want you to live it. But it also means like, I want to live more simply. I want to take on poverty more. I don't want to care about money, at least my own. I just don't. Because the second I do, it influences how I minister. I just want to be all for him. And that's all. I, like I'm starting to realize like as a pastor, I think that's all he wants of me. And whatever will be, will be. And you'll try stuff out. Some things will work. Some things won't. But let it grow according to his terms, not my own. So this is all just a very long-winded way to say, like, got to learn to just accept what he gives us in the moment. And stop trying to grasp for a future fruit that never, ever, ever bears fruit. Like, I just... It's why, like... 
I, I mean, I was into it a bit in my early years with priesthood, like all these parish renewal program stuff. I don't care about any of it anymore because it's not rooted in Christ. I'm sorry. It's just, I just struggle to see how it's rooted in Christ. I mean, I know they're trying to, but like, right. it's not to say where's that the dependence? Where's genuine. the acceptance of like, this is what God's given yeah. you. That's the material he wants. Because then it also then helps people to say responsibility. Wait, oh wait, we can't turn on the lights this weekend because we just don't have enough in the collections. I'm not going to say anything. They'll just notice it. And it's up to them to decide if they want to be responsible, <laughs> yeah, I'm right? I'm sure they will. And it's up to the people to decide <laughs> if they want to be responsible or not. It's like, why are we worried about this? I don't know. I hope I'm making sense, but there's a lot of peace and acceptance because when you accept, you're willing to find Christ in the moment in your heart. And that's all he wants. You know, at the very least, it seems like we've tried everything else as a church. Yeah. Might as well give this a try. <laughs> you know, we've tried everything else. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's all I got to say, I guess. Yeah. Acceptance is a good thing, folks. Like I, I know I'm sounding kind of serious and solemn, but like it's weirdly a peaceful, solemn joy. Mm. Like I could, just, like I know it sounds going to sound weird. I literally feel my heart like burning right now, and no, it's not heartburn. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's on fire with his love to do what he just asks me to do, and that's it. No more, no less. And what he asked me to do. To give myself to him fully. And that's all I can do. Amen. Heck yeah. Cool. I don't have the script in front of me, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, so thanks for listening to Clerically Speaking. Tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too, because Jesus says you must love your enemies. You can find me abandoning myself to divine providence on Twitter <laughs> at FR Harrison. You can... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you can find me basking in the fiery love of God, which is emanating from the priestly heart of Father Harrison Eyre. Uh, you can find a podcast at Clerically Speaking um, on Twitter. You can email clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can, if you, hey, you like what we do here and you want to help support those who work behind the scenes to, to help give them a few bucks for what they do and to help support the work of sisters, you can donate on our Patreon page. And you, we will see you uh, next time. So God bless you. Peace.